Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Women Blazers. I'm your host, Deanna Witter. Now I'm excited to welcome Tracy Ellis Ward as our featured guest for this episode. Tracy serves as the Senior Vice President of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion for Pacer Sports and Entertainment. Tracy has led an incredible career journey where she has held several executive level positions in athletics and higher education, contributed to building the foundation of the WNBA, and now is responsible for leading the strategic vision and driving initiatives to meet the DI goals for Pacers Sports Entertainment, which continues to fill her purpose to do impactful and meaningful work. you know that you have the power um, and you just got to own it. You just really have to own um, the space that you're in and know that um, your voice matters. All right, Tracy. So you attended the University of Missouri where you were, where you became an All-American and captain for the women's basketball team. You know, how did being an athlete shape your path in, into college and, and your overall college experience? Well, I was fortunate enough to play sports growing up. Uh, I did pretty much everything, track, softball, volleyball, but really found a niche in basketball, which afforded me the opportunity to attend college on a scholarship. And I think just the fact that I was an athlete and the things that go into being an elite athlete in terms of the discipline and the commitment, the travel, the balancing schoolwork really did help shape uh, who I am today as a professional. And for me, it provided the path to be the first person in my family to actually gain a college education. So it was a, uh, a profound moment, not only for me, but also for my family. Yeah, that's wonderful. I mean, I share in that with you and that experience. I too was a first generation college grad. Um, and I thought playing basketball myself was going to be my ticket. I wasn't as good as you. When you say elite player, that was definitely not what people described me as. <laughs> I was uh, I was most spirited, I think, on the team. Maybe that's probably what I would have earned in terms of badge. Well, I just think the camaraderie of just team sports um, lends something different to women than it does for men. You know, um, you know, there's just so many aspects of the sport that you can emerge as a leader. You you know, know how to flex, you know how to um, play a, a subordinate role. Uh, again, I just think there's so many parallels in the corporate environment when you're talking about working together as a team that you just garner from being part of a team um, as an athlete. Absolutely. I could not agree more. There are characteristics that you build up and grow into um, thanks to what you learn from being an athlete. It, it's such a uh, a tool of, of growth and opportunity, especially for women. I, I think there was a statistic, I think it was ESPNW had did um, a survey or some sort of um, report that, that shared that something like 90 or 95% of women in executive roles played varsity athletics um, right. and collegiate athletics. And so the correlation between obviously the what sports build up into women in terms of leadership and characteristics um, plays a big role and what we see today in business and in women in business. Yeah, totally agree, totally agree. Yeah, so um, while you uh, were at University of Missouri, um, you earned a bachelor's degree in art. So what was the original vision that you had for your career while you were in college? Well, initially I thought, you know, what career path can I follow that's going to afford me a great salary when I graduate was my original intent. <laughs> 
I started in engineering actually mm. and uh, took a lot of hard math, a lot of hard science. And lo and behold, early into my sophomore year, when I started to actually get more playing time and, you know, obviously with travel with basketball, you miss a lot of class. And I had one professor who just was not going to pass me, regardless of the fact that my absences were excused because <laughs> I was an athlete. And he sat me down in his office and he basically said, either you want to be a basketball player or you want to be an engineer, mm. which, you know, as a 18, 19 year old, you're like, you know, how do you respond to that? Right. Yeah. Um, and knowing that I was there on a basketball scholarship. So I went to my coach, you know, we had a conversation, you know, academic counselors and, you know, they basically said, you're going to have to change your major. Cause again, this person ended up being a stumbling block now. If that would happen today, you know, I probably would have different choice words and maybe taken a different path and, you know, had some different support systems. But again, at that stage of life, you don't know, you know, how so much to navigate that. So because of that um, experience, I ended up switching my major to art, which I actually love. Um, I was involved with art a lot um, in elementary school and all throughout high school, thanks to some influence um, by my mom who just signed me up for lots of community um, art activities um, throughout the city and even won some awards when I was in elementary school for some of the work that I did. So I just figured out like, what do I like next? And so I said, well, why not do something and major in something that I really love? Yeah, something you love, something you're great at. Um, it's, it's funny sometimes when you sort of, you sort of meet yourself in this place that's challenged, right? And how it redirects you down a path that might be the right path. You know, and in the moment you don't realize, you know, maybe it feels like, a, oh, man, what do I do about this situation? But ultimately, those situations, when you face them, do, do lead you down something that hopefully put you on the path of, of your passion, to your point. Yeah. And it's been, you know, it's come in handy again as a um, general degree. You learn a lot of different things, whether it's foreign language and, um, you know, different aspects of mathematics, but also, I had the opportunity to uh, really, like, again, like I said, pursue something that I love. And I even use it to this day, like, because at that point in time, graphic design was just becoming a thing. And mm -hmm. so I was able to kind of pursue some of that aspect my senior year and pick up some skills that I usually use to this day. So even when I'm working with our graphics team, I have my art <laughs> bachelor's degree <laughs> on certain things and whether I like it or don't like it. <laughs> right. You have an eye for it, for sure. And actually, education to support it. That's fantastic. Now, after graduation, um, you invested more into your education and earned your master's in sports administration at Ohio University. So how did you weigh the options to extend your education versus jump into your career path? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, originally, once I graduated with that valuable art degree, and <laughs> so I was like, well, what am I going to do with this? Because I'm not going to be a starving artist <laughs> and I uh, teach in school because I didn't have an art education degree. I ended up pursuing um, graduate school and I originally started graduate school um, in the School of Journalism when I was at um, University of Missouri. And so there I really honed my writing skills and communication skills, which was really helpful for me down you know, later in life. And I came across this internship at the NCAA right down the road in Kansas City and um, applied for that opportunity, got it. And then lo and behold, I was like, oh, this is what sports looks like outside of the basketball court. And just really met a lot of incredible professionals and mentors along the way. 
and uh, towards the end of that program said, well, how do you get one of these jobs, to be honest, and just talked to a lot of different people. And some people said, well, you should get a master's degree. And others were encouraging me just to go straight uh, into the workforce. And knowing for me, I had to really be reflective that I did not see a lot of women of color in those roles. And I did not want education or my lack of having a master's degree to be a barrier for me advancing um, in the space. So I chose and decided to go back and get my master's um, in sports administration. So after you graduated, you get into your first career opportunity working uh, for Michigan State University. You know, so what was the biggest takeaway uh, from this first, this first experience? Well, I will say when I finally left that job, I told myself I will never work that hard again. <laughs> <laughs> um, that that role was a new inaugural role for the institution. And I had a really great career there. I was promoted like five times in the almost seven years that I was there. And so I learned a lot um, as the youngest and only uh, Black female executive. And so um, it was a stretch, uh, like I said, but I was able to learn a lot and how to deal with uh, people older than me, younger than me. And I really learned the art of facilitating conversations regardless of people's level, like dealing with the grounds crew, you know, all the way up to folks in the president's cabinet and the board members. So for me, at that stage of my career, it was a really great opportunity to really hone a lot of different ways to communicate um, and get my message across. Um, I had the opportunity to supervise people um, I had the opportunity to um, be engaged with revenue sports, where sometimes a lot of times at the college level, um, some women don't have that opportunity. But because of my role, I was involved with uh, men's basketball, ice hockey, and football. So again, I was exposed to a lot. So one of the, you know, we go back jokingly and the biggest takeaway, again, I, although I did a lot and had a lot on my plate, I don't regret it because it really helped shape uh, where I went moving forward. Yeah, it sounds like it was a great foundation to your point to the career that you've led and obviously you have today. Um, share a little bit more about about the role in terms of how did you obtain it? So you, you know, after you graduate, um, you know, how did you sort of navigate into the role and, and, you know, get recruited? Like, were you recruited? Did you, did you apply? What was that process? Yeah, ironically, um, every job that I've ever had in sports, I've never officially applied for it. <laughs> been called, recruited, or someone knows someone that reaches out to me. And that's just been a tremendous blessing. And this kind of speaks to the network and the smallness of the sports industry, because your work usually speaks for itself. But ironically, um, right out of grad school, I ended up getting married. Um, and my spouse at the time was uh, on the football coaching staff at University of Missouri. So I ended up moving back there and working in the admissions office uh, for about a year and a half. And was like, well, you know, kind of pining because I wasn't working my dream job in sports after <laughs> spending all this time and investment in a master's degree and said, well, since I'm here, I might as well work on my PhD. Um, and because of, you know, being affiliated with the university, you got, you know, privileges in terms of tuition, et cetera. So literally I was two weeks away from starting a doc doctoral program when I got a call from Michigan State to come interview. Oh, wow. Now, mind you, I'm a newlywed. Uh, <laughs> weeks away from starting a PhD program and we just bought a new house. And so <laughs> talk about timing, right? Yeah, talk about timing. And so my husband comes home from work that day and said, and I just looked him dead in the eye and said, um, guess who called? 
And he says, you know, Michigan State. And I said, well, how do you know? He goes, well, how do you think they got the home number? So they had called my husband uh, at work to track me down. So it was it was wow. just kind of pretty unique. That's hilarious. So, so up in, you guys both up and moved to, Mich- to Michigan. Right. Well, he finished out the football season yeah. and I, um, you know, went out there and started a new job and he followed me and that's where we kind of started our journey. <laughs> wow. What an incredible story. I'm glad I asked that question because that's such a, you know, important part of the process of, of how you, you know, get in. And, and, I, and like, I like what you touched on. I mean, as you can imagine, I'm sure you get this question often and a lot of us do. Um, is you know the break in like how do you break into that first role that then creates that 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 very important foundation and that first role is so important and obviously this role for you um, sounds like you had a lot of great experiences and you were able to wear many hats and be exposed to many different things that allowed you then to take your path forward um, in a direction that you thought felt like was the right fit for you and the, and mm-hmm. the role you had laid out for yourself so in 2000 you gained an incredible opportunity to work. Um, for the WNBA and the NBA league office um, as the senior director of basketball operations. So how did you land this opportunity and what did you most enjoy about working for the WNBA in this role? Uh, Again, a similar story, you know, I got a phone call, right? (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, you know, we have this great opportunity. And so I go, I fly to New York. And again, ironically, my husband and I had just vacationed there the summer before. And, you know, we're buzzing around the city as Midwesterners. And I'm like, I could never live here. (laughs) The common phrase from a wedding. Yeah, Yeah, I can never live here. And, you know, lo and behold, you know, less than two years later, you know, I'm hustling and bustling and commuting to um, the city every day. But just had a great conversation with the commissioner on that interview process. And when I looked around, I saw women empowerment lived out. Um, At that time, women were um, pretty much in every role of the W. And so for me, that was just really eye-opening. And to be honest, I didn't even think I had a shot at that role. (laughs) And (laughs) Because um, the interview was so short and compact, and you know, I, I'm flying, flying in and out, and it was over. And then my husband was like, "Well, how do you think you did?" I'm like, "I'm not sure." <laughs> it, you know, it was so fast, and people coming and going, and then lo and behold, um, they ended up calling me back uh, for the role, and it was just an incredible opportunity to really see and be on the front end of the growth of the league. And um, again, to to have great leaders like Val Ackerman and at that time, um, Paula Hansen was also kind of second in command. And we just had a really great team um, of women. And just to be able to see how David Stern at the time on the um, was commissioner of the NBA just really poured into the league and wanted it to be successful. And so for me, um, seeing the money and the resources and the leadership commitment uh, to a women's professional league was just really um, refreshing. Yeah, I, I can I can imagine how rewarding this was. I mean, obviously, somebody who you know grew up playing basketball, played collegiate basketball, you're very close to the game, and to be in a position to contribute to the foundation of the WBA launched what in '97, '98. Yeah. Yep. So it you know so you're there more in the beginning of its launch, and you know the league needed you know women like you and you know, the wonderful woman you just mentioned to really launch it successfully for it to be where it is today. I'm sure you look, I mean, obviously you work with the fever now and just look across the league and I can imagine you feel much pride about you know, the contributions you made in the, in the beginning stages of the, of the league. 
Yeah, for sure. But I'm also seeing um, my age. <laughs> <laughs> we won't talk about that, Tracy. That's yeah. not a part of this podcast. <laughs> yeah, you used to be a player and now you're here. Yeah. <laughs> so after five years uh, with the NBA, you, you make a move uh, back into the collegiate sector, dedicating five years as a director of Gonzaga University and almost two years with the University of Massachusetts uh, Lowell as a senior associate athletics director. So what motivated these moves in your career and and what growth experiences did you gain at, at these two institutions? Well, actually, after I left the league, I went into the nonprofit faith-based sector and worked for New York Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Oh, interesting, um, okay. They were uh, trying to find a foothold in New York and, and, and the organization had been around for over 20 years and they just didn't have a foothold in New York. And so I left um, a six-figure job to do something <laughs> nonprofit, which people were like scratching their head. But also it was a time um, right after 9-11. Yeah. And so I just really had to kind of sit back and reflect on, okay, is this what my career path is going to be forever. I, I've had some incredible roles and incredible jobs. You know, I've been able to contribute at the pro level. And but what else is there for me? And I really had this yearning to kind of give back um, in the space and still had some connections to the WNBA, even at, in that role with FCA, because I served as a chaplain for the New York Liberty mm-hmm some of the other area college teams um, there. So that was still a great connection, even though I was removed again from kind of that corporate element. But for me, at that season of life, it was just time to do something else that I felt like would be uh, more fulfilling, uh, like in terms of giving back. And then I had an unfortunate family tragedy shortly after that, I lost my husband. And so that forced me to, again, to reevaluate and say, okay, you know, what's next for me in this season of my life, you know, being the mom of two kids in one of the most expensive places uh, in the world. So I had some really good friends and connections from my days at Michigan State who lived in Spokane, Washington, and just extended a hand to say, come here, I'm on the board of this other organization, come here and start over. So that took me to the Pacific Northwest um, and then some other opportunities unfolded um, at Gonzaga, and that's how I ended up there. Um, again, I think every job that, I, like I said, I've had has been because of relationships and people calling me um, to either start something new or fix something broken. And that's kind of been my career path. Yeah. Wow. What a journey that you have been on. And again, you know, just a reflection of your experiences, both personally and, and professionally, and how it's sort of led to those things, but also just the the connection with your relationships as well, you know, of people looking, you know, to support you, you know, as well as you looking to, for the fulfillment of what you want to contribute in your career and your life. Yeah, and it takes, you know, it takes some um, courage to really look inside of yourself and say, what am I willing to give up? You know, whether it's the geography, whether that's, um, you know, friendships, whether that's, you know, circles of other things that may be important to you in life and really balancing your wants and your needs to, to feel out you're going to live out your best life. Right. Like and I think sometimes women don't really um, give themselves space and place to, to really contemplate those things. Yeah. And it's one thing to jump at a great brand and work, but are you going to really be happy there? Right. right? And, you know, and you may be, but again, are you really being thoughtful about what you need to get out of that situation? I think it's really, really important. Yeah, I, I think and to your point, like as women, we so often think, 
you're too bright. Like we, we think more about others and how, you know, we can help others versus what to your point of, you know, how this affects me, how this makes me happy, how this makes me feel fulfilled. And when you feel fulfilled, you can fill, when your cup is filled, you can fill other cups more easily, you know? Yeah, 100%. If your cup is half full, you're not going to be your best self to any organization. Right, you know? right. Well, in 2015, um, you make another move and you're named the Senior Associate Commissioner and Chief DEI Officer for the Big East Conference. So I'm curious what inspired you to take this opportunity to move back east and share with us how you navigate into this new position. <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah, not to be redundant here, but uh, <laughs> my former boss, Val Ackerman, <laughs> yeah, from the NBA, was uh, now commissioner of the Big East and picked up the phone and called me and said, hey, would you consider relocating back to New York? <laughs> You're like, I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, that's really how that transpired and, um, you know, had the opportunity again to do a very similar role that I had at the W, but just on the college level. And then uh, about two, three years into that role, um, she appointed me as chief diversity officer, which was really an important step. And I think we were one of the first conferences at the time to have such a role. So I felt really um, blessed and honored to really carry and champion that work across our conference. So um, like I said, Val really opened up the door again for me to come back to the East Coast and was, you know, brave enough and innovative enough to create that new role. Yeah. Well, yeah, let's talk about that a little further. So for the first time, your title reflects the distinction of your responsibility to shape and sort of lead an organization's DEI efforts and strategy. And to your point, it was the first time you really saw that, you know, across, you know, um, big, you know, conferences. So what was your vision for leading DEI across the conference? And reflecting back, what were some of those key wins that were accomplished? I think for me, um, obviously having the stakeholders at our various institutions have buy-in to the process was very important. So we did have a committee where each school had a person represented. And so it wasn't, and none of the work was ever done in a vacuum and you just can't operate that way at the conference or league level. So that was really important. And we had a great team of people that were represented from the membership. Um, and I think overall, it was like taking an assessment of where each in institution was and where do they want where they wanted to go, and what where they wanted to go as a league. So it was important to you know really listen, lean into the low hanging fruit um, that was available for us to make some strides in, and obviously doing some internal assessments. Um, and I think obviously the in the wake of George Floyd and some of the other things that happened around racial reckoning mm -hmm. uh, with policing and and all of those types of horrible tragedies tragedies that happened, you know, forced the conversations even more so. Um, I am very grateful for the presidents um, that were in place at that time because we all had some very very frank conversations. Um, including the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, our, our, our coaching staffs on the men's basketball side were very adamant about having a, a BLM patch on the men's uniforms. Uh, we were a league where predominantly most of our head coaches were Black. Uh, so again, that was important messaging for them and their student athletes. And so as a conference, we really had to listen to that and really um, educate ourselves. And I had the pleasure of being part of those you know, tough conversations with our presidents because, again, people had different messaging and opinions and perceptions about what BLM really was. And so I'm just really proud of the work that I was able to be a part of there um, in that in that season um, of my life and career. 
Yeah. I mean, to your point, like what a, what an opportunity to be at in a position, especially a leader, leadership position at such a important time in our society um, that needed leaders that were open and helpful and, and navigating those conversations and those uncomfortable conversations, but also in the, in the, and, and understanding. And we talk a lot about leadership, you know, it, it, it requires courage. It requires vulnerability, you know, and, and I think in those moments that you're speaking of, and I think across, you know, the industry itself, or obviously across the world, like it, it required everybody to have a sense of reflection and openness to learn. Um, and you were in a position that was at the center of that, which is pretty remarkable. Yeah. And I, and again, I don't take it for granted. And then, you know, a few months later you have COVID layered over top of that. So, mm-hmm. you know, there was a lot of, um, heavy lifting uh, during those, my last two seasons. <laughs> but again, you know, I think all my other roles um, that I had had prior to them really shaped me to be prepared for that journey. Yeah, of course. Well, after over six and a half years serving in, in the role with the Big East, you make another another move in your career in January 2022 when you're named the Senior Vice President of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion for Pacer Sports Entertainment, where you are now. You know, what have you most enjoyed about your transition and to the Pacers organization. I have enjoyed uh, the camaraderie that's here. I mean, the Pacers, we have are fortunate enough to have one of the longest uh, standing owners uh, in the league, Herb Simon and the Simon family, and they are just fantastic. And I think one of the reasons why I took this job is because I felt a real sense of commitment to the work of inclusion here. And um, I'm sure you're familiar with you know, again, post George Floyd, a lot of companies were making, um, you know, statements and um, mandates and hiring similar roles. And um, part of it was for, you know, I don't want to say part of it was for show, but also part of it was necessary, right? But then I look, you know, fast forward a few years later, are those individuals still there and are those companies still invested in the work, right? Mm-hmm. And very adamant about um, this organization being an invested in the work because I already had a good job. <laughs> and I really wanted to uh, make a difference wherever I went next because I, like I said, I was really content where I was. And so they convinced me that they were really serious about the work. And so I have really been able to see that um, in the, the almost two years that I've been here. And so I celebrate every small win that I have here, knowing that we've got some bigger you know, hurdles to jump down the line. But this work is not done in a vacuum. It's not a mar- It's a marathon, not a sprint. <laughs> and I do feel like I have the support of my leadership team, but also our ownership team. And then I feel like also our staff is really becoming coming along and learning um, really what being an inclusive environment looks like. And it's different every day. And so the one thing I do love about my job is it's never the same. <laughs> right. And um, I'm a person who's easily bored and I love challenges. And so um, as much as... Um, I want to see everything happen, you know, quickly and efficiently and all of that because of my <laughs> type A personality. I recognize that relationships matter and you have to meet people where they are. And so I really enjoy that aspect of my job. Yeah, it sounds incredible. And I can say from my personal experience, you know, my, my career started and launched with the Indiana Pacers and Indiana Fever. And, and you, you know, it, you're surrounded by a wonderful team and a wonderful organization um, led by great 
Um, and so it's it's one of those situations that when you're in a position like you are in DEI, like DEI is a, it's a team sport, if you're going to use that analogy. And um, it sounds like you're getting the, the support that you need to um, put forth a, a, the right vision, execution to accomplish the goals that you're laying out in this new position. Yeah. And it's a, like I said, it's a journey and, and we're on it together. You're, you're exactly right. Like I can't do this work alone. And so you know, I get to, you know, work with ticket folks. I get to work with our marketing team. I get to work with our CE you know, your engagement team. So um, I do enjoy that, that facet. Hmm. Now this year, uh, I do want to make a note that you were recognized as a SBJ game changer honoree. So share with us what this recognition means to you and the representation it presents for women who are coming up very similar paths that you did? Well, I'm a little, first of all, I'm humbled, right? <laughs> right. You say the word game changer, it just is a little bit humbling, but uh, jokingly, um, the, our Linda and our GM on the fever side, she says, just watch out when you start getting all these awards, this means you're getting older. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, for me, it's just, um, it's a great honor and recognition. And, you know, I, I don't take it lightly. and. And I just want to be um, someone who folks can call on if they need help uh, or advice in their career path. And I, I do look forward to uh, mentoring and talking to, you know, other people who are trying to figure out their career path. Whether it's trying to figure out how to be a mom and, you know, balance, you know, work with being a parent. Or if it's, hey, should I take a you know, leap and, you know, move across country for this great opportunity? Like, I just welcome, you know, those kinds of conversations with other uh, young professionals that are coming along who want to go far in their career, particularly in the sports industry. Because when I was coming along, I didn't have a lot of people that looked like me to have those conversations with. Yeah, no, I agree. And you know, I um, I was fortunate. Um, I, too, am a Game Changer honoree from the past. Um, and what I loved about the opportunity is, you know, it's, it's not about the, you know, the recognition as much. It's more about the sense of when you're given such an honor, it also comes with a sense of responsibility um, in a way where you're sort of encouraged and motivated to sort of live up to that recognition in a way. And so how do we give back and how do you mentor? Um, how do you ensure that you're just making the path and journey a little bit easier for the next generation? Um, and women who look like you, look like me, you know, um, have a have a hopefully a, a cleaner, more less bump of the road sort of journey to where they're headed as well. And um, so it, it is it's an incredible honor. And I congratulate you um, for for it as well. Well, thank you so much. And and now I'm a good company. Well, I'm <laughs> yeah, this, it's a great it's a great uh, group to be a part of. Now, in every episode, I always like to, to end with just a, a couple topics that um, are repeated sometimes. And so I like to take topics from previous episodes and conversations and just expand on them. Um, so the first one I wanted to, to connect with you on is challenges. So mm. yeah, so along your career journey, you know, what is a challenge or the challenge that you face that helped you grow personally and professionally um, most significantly? Yeah, I would say... Um... For the most part, it's being the only one, right? I'm normally the only woman of color at the table. Um, and that's been pretty consistent throughout my career. Um, so one, I don't take that lightly, but also um, I feel a deep sense of responsibility uh, because of that, right? Um, and 
I've had to learn over the years that my voice matters, not only in representing others um, in this space, um, other people of color, but also um, exercising my own voice, yeah. right? Because it can sometimes be intimidating when you're the only one, right? Mm -hmm. And we're going rooms and spaces and places and meetings and, and um, just learning how to interject uh, my voice um, has been really probably the biggest thing that I've had to learn to do and navigate over the years. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, you know, to, to the point, you know, we've had, like I said, we've had this conversation, you know, a couple different times throughout the podcast over the last four seasons. And, you know, this, and maybe you've experienced this as well is when you are the only woman or only person of color in a room and you know that your voice matters and you're representing obviously a community and a very specific voice um, and you speak up and it's, you know, sort of, um, process differently or taken a certain way and the reflection that you have to then continue to navigate those conversations beyond just that one moment because it could I don't know it, it, it almost labels you right and the labels and the stereotypes and how to break through those things constantly but knowing that you still got to speak up knowing that you still have to represent the seat at the table that you have that challenge is constantly sort of repeating itself um, but I hope that there's eventually more change as we see more women of color, you know, more professionals of color, more women in these rooms um, to start to break through and, and start to, I don't know, respect and appreciate the voice at the table. Yeah. And it just takes, you know, an element of courage and the risk um, has to be worth it. Right. Okay. And I think sometimes women um, are forced to, for whatever reason, to, um, focus on the risk uh, as as opposed to walking the courage path. And, you know, I probably, it's been at least, <laughs> I don't want to say how how many years, but I, I just forced myself to walk the courage path because I, I can't go to bed at night thinking, oh, I should have said this or I should have done that. Um, I don't want to have any regrets um, in, in this time of my life. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. I th you think you're right. It's walking that line of courage and what is the risk is not being authentic to yourself, which I think is more damaging, you know, than, you know, sort of staying quiet and, you know, like lessening yourself in that room. Um, you know, I think that's more damaging than being authentic and speaking where you know that you should speak up You're in the room for a reason, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think once people know and that and start validating your voice again, cause that's, that's key. Right. And so when you feel invalidated in spaces and rooms, um, that typically makes people, you know, go the other way, right? Or leave organizations or, you know, so there's a lot of downside to, you know, staying quiet, right? And being complicit when you know that you have the power um, and you've just got to own it. You just really have to own um, the space that you're in and know that um, your voice matters. Yes, I love that. You do have to own it. And that's a great sort of takeaway, you know, just owning your voice, being authentic and, 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 and the, you know, the valid, the validity that you get from others, um, seeing your worth, which is fantastic. Now, the next piece is on um, lifestyle. So lifestyle has brought up in every conversation since the very first conversation, you know, um, one of the things that we don't like on this podcast is the, um, talking about work-life balance, which we know mm -hmm. is, um, impossible, <laughs> I think. Um, and when 
we've done is we've changed out the term work-life balance for this idea of lifestyle. Like we have, mm. we're, we have structured our lifestyles to work for us and the people in our lives um, and to obviously uh, fill the cups of the things that matter to us, right? So um, just curious for you, you know, how have you structured your lifestyle and sort of managed your lifestyle so it works for you and your family? Well, thankfully, my kids are grown now. Uh, but, you know, when they were younger, for me, you know, the whole idea or concept of work-life balance was really about integration. And that's what I tell people uh, even today that, you know, question, well, how did you make it work with small kids? And how did you do this? And how did you do that? And, you know, I was fortunate to have a really great partner uh, and my former spouse. And um, he just really um, supported you know, me in every way, shape or form, whether it was moving across country from Michigan to New York to, you know, so I really had a great foundation and family support. But I think that, again, you've got to really be reflective on what things you're willing to give up and sacrifice and let somebody else take the help up. You know, if you if getting your kids off to school in the morning is the most important thing to you, you know, that means you're probably not going to be able to schedule meetings before nine o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm really, really want to be there for um, basketball game that night, you're probably going to need to go to work earlier in the morning and leave at 4.30, you know, so you can be there for the, you know, six o'clock tick. So you've got to just really figure out what um, levers are most important to you and create your work and your life around uh, making sure that you hit those goals and uh, meeting your personal goals as well. Yeah. No, integration is key. Integration is really key. What do you do for just like Tracy time? Like if you if you get Tracy time, are you still working or are you vacation? Like what is it that that helps you sort of get back to the center for when you have a lot on your plate? Well, I do work entirely too much, but I do love <laughs> travel. Um, I love traveling. Um, I love listening to music. I love movies. Uh, and I love cooking. Yeah, so those are probably some of the things that when I feel like I just can – um, just relax and escape and, and get away. That's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. And then finally, to, to, to wrap things up, um, I always like to, to end on some advice. So what advice would you leave for our listeners based on your experience and accomplishments to grow their careers in the industry that may have started out in a similar place that you have? Um, I would say don't doubt yourself. Um, even if you're afraid of making a move, do it because once you overcome that fear that holds us all back in various ways or capacities, once you break through it, you just gain a little bit more confidence uh, in yourself and in your abilities. And so many times I think we as women can talk ourselves out of great opportunities or um, just, just times and spaces that we could stretch ourselves. I mean, there's a lot of studies out there right now about, you know, when women look job description, they won't apply because they feel like they can only do, you know, three of the 10 things. But a men, men can look at the same job description and say, you know, I can do one of those things and I'm going to do it. Right. <laughs> um, this is about believing in yourself um, and just breaking through that fear barrier and going for it because you're either, even if you fail, you're going to fail in a way that you're going to learn and fail forward, um, as I like to say sometimes. And that's okay. Um, because that makes us a better person as well. Absolutely. What incredible advice to leave us on. Thank you so much, Tracy, for your time, for sharing your journey and your career experiences with us today. And thank you for being a guest on Women Blazers. Thanks, Deanna, for having me.
And that's a wrap on episode 73. Thank you to Tracy for sharing her journey and insights with all of us today. And as a thank you to Tracy, our friends at the Pro Sports Assembly will provide her with a one-year membership for her to join Pro. Pro Sports Assembly is an industry member-led association helping events equity and pro sports. I want to thank Pro for their incredible support and believing in the mission of this podcast. And I encourage you to visit prosportsassembly.org to learn more about how you can also become a member. Now to stay connected and to engage with the Women Blazers community, follow us on Instagram at Women Blazers. And also be sure to check out our next episode dropping Monday, October 9th. Until next time, I hope you have a wonderful week.